I want to be a video game designer because I've always been around video games. I want to be an author because I like reading and it inspires me to write. I want to be a teacher um, because um, they're fun. When I grow up, I want to be a professional bowler because I like to bowl and, I, and I'm already in a league. When I grow up, I want to be in the military. I want to be a vet because you can see all the cute animals. I want to be, when I grow up, um, an army man, and I want to be a police officer. I want to be a gymnast because I want to go to the Olympics. When I grow up, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a magician when I grow up because I'm very good at it. I want to be a gymnastics coach because I love gymnastics. Well, hello, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you at all of our locations as we continue our Live in the Dream series. So far along the way, we've taken some time to look at the, the key realities around identity and purpose and how we truly live. And this weekend, we're stepping into the subject of success. What success is? How do we define it? Is it financial prosperity? Is it achievement in our professional arena? Is it a number of years of service, or the status of our family, even how our kids turn out? How do we define success? I mean, those are all good things, but are they the measurement of success? They are certainly reflections of success, but are they actually success itself? We're asking the question, how do we find success? What is a win in a way? In fact, that's kind of the question we're getting to. How do you define success is in a way asking how do you define a win? And, and that's a, an important question to answer because it shapes our choices and our decisions and, and what we invest in and what, what we pursue. It actually determines what we do. And, and if we don't have a clear understanding or the right understanding of success, we can end up living the wrong dream, chasing the wrong thing. Because how you and I, how we define success determines what we pursue. This is your first film if you're following along in a sermon note guide. How we define success determines what we pursue. So how do you define success? It, it Does it actually measure up and line up to what God says success is? The world says, you look out for number one, it's the person with the most toys who wins, that it's survival of the fittest. And it's been, it can be really easy to get caught up in living that way, chasing those dreams. Just for example, a number of years ago, Discovery Channel had a TV show called Man vs. Wild with Bear Grylls. If you've ever heard of it or watched it, just raise your hand high. Okay, a fair number of you. It was a great survival show, awesome survival show. In fact, five years ago, they had a competition to see if they could get a fan on the show, and they were going to call that show Fan vs. Wild. And when I saw it, man, I was all in. I'm like, this is a prime survival of the fittest moment. Count me in. And so I went online and I found the spot you can sign up. I found the application and you essentially had to answer the question, why should we pick you? And I wrote a powerful and exhaustive 800 word essay of all of my experiences and all of my qualifications. 
I talked about being a wilderness instructor, an army officer, a state trooper, and a pastor. I put my training and skills around, you know, the rappelling and rock climbing and kayaking, canoeing, scuba diving. I added in the number of triathlons I'd done, the marathon I ran, the number of half marathons I've done, the adventure race I did, the bike races I've been in. I even put in there that I climbed a volcano twice, which is true. Well, all of it's true, but that in particular is especially true because you may not believe it. And it was, it was just all together. And then what I did is I put in a scripture. Because I figured bear follows Jesus, it couldn't hurt. So I put in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 27, which says, I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. This is like the ultimate survival verse. And this was a masterpiece, man. It was a sure win. And so I took it, I copied it, I pasted it into the online form, I hit send, and I immediately got an error message. You know what it said? Your response needs to be 75 words or less. <laughs> 75! I had 10 times that many words. But I wasn't deterred. I, I, I narrowed it down. I worked it down to just 75 one-word statements listing all that stuff out there. And I hit send and I, I put it off and I just waited. I waited and I waited. And I never heard. I didn't get selected. Because to come to find out, they weren't looking for people with experience. They were looking for the least likely people to spend time in the wilderness with bear. It wasn't a survival of the fittest scenario. It was the survival of those who, who with the least likely ability to know what to do so the bear could insert himself into that. But I didn't know that. I had the wrong definition of what they wanted. I had the wrong definition of success. And I pursued the wrong thing, and I didn't get it. How we define success determines what we pursue. How do you f define success? Does it line up to what God says a successful life is? See, when we started out our series, Living the Dream, we started to really unpack concepts around who we are and what we do and their connection. And we've seen that who we are determines what we do, not what we do determining who we are. It's our being leading to doing. And that's really important to understand. But we've also seen as we walk through this process that this, this middle section here, the, the purposes and priorities and plans in life, they influence who we are and what we do. And if we're truly going to honor God, if we're going to follow Jesus, then, then Jesus gets to influence who we are and what we do. He gets to say something about it. In fact, it's Acts 17 verse 28 that says, for in him we live and move and have our being. So in him we live and move and have our being. So, so Jesus gets to speak into who we are and what we do. And he's chosen to do that through the context of what he calls his kingdom. His purposes, his priority, and his plans. He determines what we do and who we are in light of his kingdom and who he is. And so this Live in the Dream series is, is really designed around understanding what this is, how we can recognize it, and how we actually live fully in it. Because how we define success determines what we do. It shapes our choices and decisions, and if we don't have a clear understanding of success, we can end up chasing and pursuing the wrong dream. We can miss out. Now, if we're honest, I think we can all acknowledge that at some point we have struggled to define success. It usually comes after a major loss or after a, a significant wound or in the middle of a crisis or when we're facing a significant decision. 
And I realize that many of us here today are in that space right now. You're facing this opportunity, this obstacle, this problem, and you're trying to decide what to do that will lead to the win. And you're just not sure. But I want to tell you today, as we're talking, we're going to be talking through how God defines a win, and that ultimately then positions us to understand how we answer the question, what's success? And so what I want to do right now is just dive right into what God says. And I want to do it through a story that Jesus told. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it, turn, or click to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, first book of the New Testament. We're going to be picking up and reading a parable. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual truth. It's a word picture. It was a very common method of teaching for Jesus. In fact, roughly a third of all the recorded teachings of Jesus were parables. And the parable we're looking at today comes right before a parable we looked at when we kicked off our Living the Dream series, the parable of the sheep and the goats. This parable comes right before, and it starts in verse 14. I invite you to follow along. It's on the screen in your sermon note guide, as well as in your own Bibles. So here we go. Again, it, and he's talking about the kingdom here, because if we back up to verse 1, we see that he says the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom is like, so it kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, if you keep reading, you'll see that the guy who got five bags of gold goes off immediately, puts it to work, and earns five more. And the guy who got two bags of gold does the same thing, goes out, puts that to work, and he earns two more. But when you get to the third guy who got one, he takes that bag of gold, he goes out, he digs a hole, and he buries the money. Now, if you're familiar with this parable, this kingdom parable, you may know what happens next and understand what we've just talked about. But often when we're looking at this kingdom parable, we don't go far enough. We don't go deep enough. We stay on the surface looking at the surfacey truths, and we don't drill down deeper into the layer upon layer of what this parable represents and what Jesus can teach out of it. I mean, he, there's a lot of things that we can pull and extract from it, and often we just stay on the surface and we just don't go deep enough. And one of the things that we're going to see today is that success is determined by what we do, not what we have. Success is determined by what we do, not what we have. Now, we already know that what we do does not determine who we are. We know that. But the reality is that who we are determines what we do, and what we do determines success. It's what we do, not what we have. And so the deal is, it's our identity in Jesus that positions us to be part of something bigger than ourselves, that positions us to invest in and do things that bring success. Success is in what we do, not what we have or what we don't have. And we can look at this in terms of the idea that, that faith, having a faith in Jesus Christ, being in a relationship with God, faith without deeds is dead. There is a necessary doing component for us to see success and glory of God in our lives. It's not just about who we are and avoiding the investments he has for us. Who we are should lead to what we do, and what we do ultimately ends up landing in the arena of success based on how we handle it. Success is determined by what we do, not what we have. It doesn't tell us our identity, but it does inform our success or not. 
So let's step back into this parable for a moment. In verse 19, we can see that it says, After a long time, the master came back to settle accounts with the servants. And what happens is this. The the servant who had received five bags of gold says, Master, you gave me five. I've earned five more, and I offer them back to you. And the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the guy who got two bags, who then earned two bags, came and said, Master, you gave me two. I have earned two, and I offer them back to you. The master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But then we get to the third guy, and it's a different story. If you look with me in verse 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Oh, man, this dude is in hot water and deep weeds. Because he did not understand that success is defined by what we do, not what we have. I mean, just think about this for a moment. How we define success determines what we pursue. So how we define success is determined by what we pursue. And and it's really what we do determines success. But what we do is determined by who we are. It's not the reality that that we pursue some success by what we do and we become something. It's based on who we are and our identity in Him that we are positioned to do certain things that ultimately lead to success. It's It's about what we do. It's not about what we have. Yet too many times we as a people say, well, I'm just going to do something. I'm going to seek success by doing something in order to become something. But that's not how God designed it for us. We, out of our identity and relationship with Him, when we submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we enter the kingdom of God. And that's not the destination. We enter the kingdom of God with the gift of eternal life and having received forgiveness. But while we are still here in this life, we are to be investing our life in a way that ultimately expands his kingdom and brings the success that moves his kingdom further. So what we do is key. It's about what we do, not what we have. And in this process, wherever you're at in your journey, I wonder where you're at. Because if you do not understand that it's who we are that leads to what we do and that what we do ultimately defines success, you can end up living the wrong dream. Struggling to make sense of what God is doing and not doing in your life. And not really understand what it means to be part of the kingdom and then to advance the kingdom. And then we're really not living the dream. Now see, that's... That's pretty good information to understand that, but let's go a little bit deeper back into the parable for a moment and understand a couple of concepts first. One of the first key concepts to get out of this is when we look in verse 15, we see that God gives or the master gave out of ability. And God gives according to ability. He, it's appropriate distribution for success. He never gives us more than, he can, than we can handle. In fact, he often gives us as much as we can handle to the full extent Because he's looking for the greatest success. Now that's subtle, but it's key. 
Now, there's another key concept. When we read Scripture, we can find gaps of information. I mean, we're reading a written document, and it, it doesn't contain every detail, action, or aspect. So there are things that aren't included. And, and those become gaps in the story. Now, I often find them very interesting. I love to dig deeper into them and understand them. What happened before? What happened after? What's happening behind the scenes? In fact, if just in verse 19 where it says, After a long time. Those four words reveal a gap. After a long time, the master came back. What happened in the gap? I mean, he gave them money. He came back to settle accounts. But this was a long time, right? So what happened? How did they invest? What risks did they take? What, what challenges did they encounter? What, what perseverance did they have to, to demonstrate to, to actually just consider to, to multiply, to double the resources that they had? What happened in that gap? Now, we never want to be extra biblical when we're looking at the gaps. We don't want to add stuff in that isn't there. But it is not a stretch to expect that that journey of earning involved work and risk and perhaps setbacks and, and loss and struggle, good days and bad days. Any financial manager would tell you that, that money is not consistent. It's not always predictable. It, it, it can go up and down. And we can look at this parable and go, God, the guy got five, and then he earned five. Well, that was just simple. He, whatever, that just happened. No, really? I mean, what happened? What happened that he had to endure and suffer through and persevere in and not lose hope and not give up to ultimately see the multiplication of what he had? There had to be ups and downs. Had to be. And here's the thing. To, to journey toward God-honoring success is often marked by ups and downs. Uh, good days and bad days, successes and failures. It's all part of the process because God uses the journey. It's essential for how he defines success. So let's step back and go one layer deep into this parable for a moment. You see, this, this parable isn't about what not to do when you don't get your fair share, when you don't get the best deal, when you don't get the most out of something. That's not what this parable is about. It's not even about how we honor God with little. That's actually a totally different parable, the shrewd manager. It's not this parable. In fact, what we're talking about here, these were large sums of money for all three servants. This was no small amount of money for the guy who had won. Just think about it this way. That term bag of gold in the NIV is actually from the Greek word talenton, which is talent. And a talent was a unit of weight, a measurement of weight. And they often would, uh, would equivalent that to how they weighed money. And one talent equaled 60 minas in this time period. And, and minas was a form of, of, of money. And so one talent equals 60 minas. And, and one mina equaled three months wages. So when you take one talent, you take 60 times three, you end up with 180 months wages. You with me so far? You divide that by 12, 180 by 12, you get 15 years so one talent equaled no less than 15 years wages. This is not a parable about what to do when you don't get a fair share or when you get little. This isn't even a parable about, about simply what Jesus says success should look like or how we are ready and how we get ready for his return. There are a lot of things to pull out of this, but there is one particular thing that this parable speaks to that I believe is an important reality for us as a church. And it's something that we've got to understand. And it's simply this, that when we start protecting what we like, we stop pursuing what he loves. 
When we start protecting what we like, we stop pursuing what he loves. And that third servant went into protection mode because he was afraid of what he might lose, that he might lose what he liked. And listen, there are two very unhealthy expressions for how we pursue success. One is rooted in in selfishness, and the other is rooted in laziness. There's a continuum here. And those who settle on this side of of the process, they focus way too much priority and attention on resources. And they say that, that prosperity is a special evidence of God's blessing. And so if, if you don't have prosperity, you don't have God's blessing. That more is always better. It's this prosperity concept, and that is unhealthy and out of balance. On the flip side, over here are people who are uncomfortable with identifying that success is good. That it's actually something that God uses to advance His kingdom. And so they tend to devalue success and find themselves in a place where they live in a a posture of laziness, not engaged in the success of God's kingdom or investing and working towards something else. Those are the two unhealthy extremes. Just, Just think about it for a moment. What was the third servant indicted for? His master called him what? You wicked, lazy, lazy. See, he went into protection mode. He, was, he didn't invest more, he didn't work more, he didn't pursue something else, he was afraid of what he might lose, and so he retreated. He stopped pursuing what his master loved, and he started protecting what he liked. And that positioned him on this end of the spectrum. And here's the interesting thing, that the other two servants, they didn't end up over here. They ended up in the center, able to offer back the resources God had given them, the, the master had given them. So, so here's the thing, think about it. The, the, the servant with two had 30 years wages. The servant with five had 75 years wages. 30, 70, 75 is a lot. Unless you're trying to get on a TV show, then it's not anywhere close to enough. It was a lot. And then they multiplied it, 60 and 150 years wages. And what did they do with it? They offered it back to their master. With open hands, they said, you gave, we have earned, we offer it back to you. When we start protecting what we like, we stop pursuing what he loves. It was a very costly thing for that third servant. If we read on in verse 28, we find this. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable teaches us a lot of things, but one of the primary lessons we can pull out of this is that when we start protecting what we like, we often stop pursuing what he loves. That happens when we start living more for ourselves than for him. It happens when when we resist changes in our life that are actually positioning us to grow. It happens when we seek to take more than we give, when we want more from God than for God and His kingdom. It happens when when we take the posture of a people who just live saved rather than a people who live sent. When we start protecting what we like, we stop pursuing what He loves. So let's go back to the original question. What's success? What's a win? 
if we strip this passage down, we get to the basic concept that in the kingdom of God, success is determined by what we do, not what we have. And it's in what we do with what we've been entrusted. You remember what the master did in verse 14, he entrusted his wealth to his servants. And so there's an expectation of stewardship. There's an expectation of, of pursuing his interests, of, of his values being reflected in what we do with those resources, risking, stewarding, managing, not hiding, and not guarding. Because when we start protecting that stuff, then we lose sight of pursuing what he really wants. And that happens in big things and it happens in little things. And I wonder where you are protecting instead of pursuing today. I wonder where in your life where you have taken a posture of protecting instead of pursuing for God's greater purposes. Where you have been avoiding sacrifice in fear of what it might cost you. Where you've been afraid to share your faith because of what others may think of you. Maybe where you've not been giving generously to the work of God because then those resources aren't available for you to use as you want to use them. Where are you protecting instead of pursuing? Not caring for the least and the last and the lost because that's messy and it interrupts our plan and our day and it changes our overall comfort level often. Where are you burying your talent instead of using it for His glory? You know, when we get to the posture of protecting as opposed to pursuing, often the catalyst for that is fear. It's fear. And fear has no place in the life of the believer. We know from 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 that says, We have not been given a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-control. And out of that verse alone, we can see our identity of who we are and what we do so that we live out of who we are to what we do in a manner that brings Him glory. And we offer the success in our life that He affords us back to Him. So where are you protecting instead of pursuing? You know, sometimes I think we choose to follow God or we look at following God and we think that that's a means to not experience pain or conflict or suffering in life. But the kingdom of God costs us everything. And if, you, if we think suffering and, and cost aren't part of His kingdom or shouldn't be part of His kingdom, then we position ourselves in a protecting posture rather than a pursuing posture. And we miss out on all that God has for us in the whole journey. But we get to understand who we are and what we do when we grasp kingdom realities. When we understand what His kingdom is, the values and the priorities and the purposes within it, when we get kingdom realities, well, now when we face a physical struggle, we have one of those thorns in our flesh, that thing that we just don't know why God allows, but it's there. Success is no longer about the removal of that thing. Success is defined by the endurance that He gives us and the strength He gives us in the midst of it. When we understand kingdom realities, then suffering is not just simply pain. It's the path to perseverance. When we understand kingdom realities, then brokenness and hopelessness they're not a place of defeat, but a place of building dependence. When we understand kingdom realities, we look at the world differently. And I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what obstacles, what hardships, what difficulties loom in front of you. But I want to encourage you not to take a protecting posture, but a pursuing one. To pursue Him. And don't quit. Don't bury what you have to protect it. But with open hands, offer it back to the one who gave 
and ask him for the strength to navigate through it. It's the kingdom reality that changes the way we look at the world and how we respond to it. And I want to look at just a, a few ways, that, a few truths that help us position ourselves to pursue and not protect when it comes to the kingdom that will position us as we walk through the rest of this journey in living the dream. So here's the first one. You can't be successful on your own. You can't be successful on your own. And I know some of you, as soon as you heard it, are like, I don't like that, and I don't embrace it. Listen, when we're talking about kingdom success, it is beyond our reach without Jesus. We cannot achieve the things God wants to do in this life apart from Him. We need Jesus. Remember, we live and move and have our being in Him. And it was actually Jesus who said this in John 15. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. We can't do anything. Now listen, listen. We do stuff all the time. (laughs) But when we're talking about kingdom stuff, stuff of God, bearing fruit for him, multiplying what he has given us, we can't do that on our own. We need his power at work in us. We need to be in relationship with him. That's the first place it starts, where we surrender to Jesus, we find forgiveness for the sin and junk in our life. He gives us the gift of eternal life, and we walk with God out of our identity in what we do. It's a relationship that allows us to share our master's happiness And we can't do that on our own. You and I, we cannot be successful on our own. The second thing is that success isn't just about winning and losing. It's not just about a a gains and losses reality. Remember back to verse 15, God gives according to ability. So kingdom success, listen, kingdom success is more about how we handle what we've been given, what we have been entrusted with. If it's little or if it's much, if it's easy or if it's hard, When we get that, when we understand it's how we handle what we have been given, that it has the potential to radically change the way we navigate life in every circumstance we encounter along the way. Each of the three servants, they received in the parable two things from the master. They received the bag of gold or bags of gold, and they received training. They were taught. They learned from him. They understood his values and his priorities and how he ran his business. They learned. And the third servant... He let fear distort what he had learned. The first two used what they had been given and what they had learned to multiply and advance his his kingdom. But the third let fear distort it. And if we're not careful, a difficulty, a loss, a hardship, a wound can lead us to do the same. Where we take a protecting posture rather than a pursuing one. And we can say to God, look, God, I'm going to give you back only what you gave me. God, you allowed blank to happen in my life. Now I'm no longer going to trust or do. Listen, if you're in the midst of some rough stuff, don't do that. Receive what he has given you and steward it well. Steward it well. Because Jesus says this in Mark 8, we looked at this last week. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Whatever you are facing right now, whatever hardship and difficulty, it is by his power that you will overcome it when you pursue him, when you remain faithful to him. Receive what he has given to you in the journey, whatever he has allowed, whatever he's positioned you into, striving to bring him glory in it. It may be sickness, it may be brokenness, it could be a problem in your life. 
It may require that you forgive. It may require to reconcile. It may require that you set aside bitterness. Do that. Because the third servant embraced fear of what those things would cost him to risk what that would cost. And he, would, and he ended up losing everything. It actually cost him everything. And in the kingdom, success isn't just about winning and losing. We can't be successful on our own. Thirdly, God defines success by the journey, not the destination. Our God defines success by the journey, not the destination. If we just look for a moment at Matthew 25, verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So here's the thing. It's about the journey, not simply the destination. It's not just the outcome. It's the whole journey. God looks at who we are in Him. He looks at what we do in light of what He's given us. He looks at what has been accomplished for His kingdom as a result of our obedience and faithfulness. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's the whole ball of wax. It's all of it. Yet we have a tendency to think that if we choose Jesus, we follow Him, then we obey Him, then we're going to be given this life that has no trouble and, and no problems, and we can just hang out until He takes us to heaven. But that's not the way it works. Jesus said, look, you will have trouble first. He said, you're going to have it. And then there's the reality that we need to be careful not to presume that our dreams and, and our definitions of success are his purposes for us. Because he looks at the journey. The truth is that God's purposes may be the exact opposite of what we think. Because for him, success is rooted in the journey. It's what we do along the way. Just consider the parable again. That moment when the master came back and settled accounts, it was all about what they did. It wasn't about the amounts at the end. It wasn't about what they had. It was about what they did. Those first two servants were equally successful even though they had drastically different amounts of resources. And that third servant wasn't successful not because he only had one, but because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He could have received the same blessing, the same reward, but he didn't do what he was supposed to do with what he had. He, out of fear, distorted his understanding of who he was in relationship to the master, and so he didn't do the work the master wanted him to do. And God defines success by the journey, not the destination. Oswald Chambers has a really good quote about this. I'd like to read it to you. He says, we have the idea that God is leading us toward a particular end or a desired goal, but he is not. The question of whether or not we arrive at a particular goal is of little importance, and reaching it becomes merely an episode along the way. What we see as only the process of reaching a particular end, God sees as the goal itself. God defines success by the journey, not simply the destination. You see, in the kingdom of God, identity is determined by who we are and whose we are. And that positions us to allow our doing to lead to success for Him. And that ultimate success is really through partnership with God. It's not apart from Him. And, the, and those servants were invited into partnership with the Master. In a similar, similar way, we're invited into partnership with God. And success comes by partnership with Him. But look, listen, I know that sometimes the journey towards success is long and difficult. You may find yourself right now in that a long time gap where he gave something, he communicated something, and he has not yet returned, and you're in that season, that gap in between. And sometimes in that gap, it's really hard to see what success is because we're looking for the wrong thing. 
It's also difficult because that gap can be filled with pain. It can be messy, filled with setbacks. But God is the author of success. He is the author of success. So I want to challenge and encourage you once again, do not quit. Do not take a posture of protecting, but maintain a posture of pursuing, of pursuing Him. Don't fall into protection mode. I do not know what you're facing. I don't know what challenges and hardships, obstacles, or decisions lay or loom in front of you. But I want to encourage you to focus on what you're doing, not what you are receiving. Not on what you have or don't have, but how you are taking what is in front of you and using it in a way that brings glory and honor to God. Because He defines success by how we handle what we have been entrusted, how we handle the journey, not inherently by the outcomes. And in this whole journey in the kingdom of God, success is determined by what we do, not what we have. So the only thing that really means true success at the end of this is that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Where are you protecting instead of pursuing? We're called to invest our lives, to spend ourselves. We're made with purpose. So live it. Don't let fear consume you. Don't let the unknown cause you to bury what God has given to you. But instead, with open hands, steward it well. And then whatever happens, offer it back to Him. Saying that you belong to Him and your identity is in Him and what you do is an expression of your identity in Him for His glory. Not tempted to be lazy or selfish, but open-handed in saying, Lord, I belong to you. And so whatever comes my way, by your power, your strength, I will bring you glory in the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs. Success is determined by what we do, not what we have. Let's take a moment to pray as we step back into worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words your son spoke. I thank you that they're captured in Scripture, and I thank you that we can go back to your word, and we can go back in layer upon layer, and we can see more and more of what you want us to know so that we can live in a way that honors you. Father, I thank you that through Jesus we can have life and life to the full, that there is an identity to be had. And I thank you, Father, that out of that identity, we reside in the kingdom, but we are also facilitators of it. And I pray, Father, that we would all be a people who stay focused on doing what you want us to do for your glory, not being lazy, not being selfish, but positioned with open hands to say, Lord, by your power, by your strength, we will bring you honor and glory in this life. I pray for my friends here today, Father, who may not even know your son Jesus as Savior yet, and they're just kind of spiritually unresolved. I, I pray that in these moments you talk to them and they would understand how you see them and your love for them, that they would step into relationship with you. And then I pray, Father, that all of us would live out of our being, out of an identity in you, to what we do, not for our gain, but for the advancement of your kingdom. Help us to understand, Lord, where we have been protecting instead of pursuing. And may we be a people who unashamedly, courageously, and boldly pursue you with everything we have for your glory and honor. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.